Welcome to Leading Lights. You're about to hear a message from Lighthouse Church. Our theme, if you, I'm sure that you all know, but just in case you don't, the theme of our sermon series at the moment is Anchored. I wanted to talk about being anchored in acceptance. So I spend most of my time in the week now working on a building site as a plumber. And uh, I thought I'd just share with you, I, 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 it's a very different crowd of people to you, I'm sure. Um, but I love it. Do you know, these people are just as you find them. You know, there's no pretenses. They're not trying to be somebody. Uh, they're not, they just are. And, you know, I, I'm encouraged by it. And uh, I wanted to share just a couple of stories at either end of my message today, just to highlight what I wanted to talk about. One of the guys I want to talk about is a Scottish guy, and uh, he's a general labourer on the work site. Um, and I just feel sorry for general labourers. If you've ever, if you understand the building site, the general labourer is, it's a really important role, don't get me wrong, but it's not one of those jobs that you go home at the end of the day and feel like you've created something. You've basically just moved stuff around endlessly and swept up and... Um, and he, um, often when he speaks, he's talking about the relationship that he has with the site foreman, which uh, from his perspective is not great, um, because he constantly feels like the site foreman is his big brother, watching every move that he makes and constantly pointing out the things he's not doing or doing wrong. And, and one of the things is that on the building site, there are CCTV cameras. So even though the foreman is, may not be on our site, he can be anywhere in Jersey, pull out his phone, call up a camera and see what's going on. And he constantly reminds this laborer that he's watching him. And he always feels like he's not good enough. I wonder if you've ever felt like that. No matter how hard you try, you just don't match up. Um, I have a wonderful wife and this has nothing to do with our marriage but I sometimes think about what it would be like to be in a marriage with someone who is like a perfectionist who is constantly picking apart the things that you didn't do and pointing out how you could have said this better or done this better Uh, and imagine what it is to wake up to that kind of relationship every day where you feel like you have to be on your A game (coughs) Or it's a long day, you know? Uh, It must be terrible to constantly have all the things that you do wrong highlighted, to never be encouraged. It must be eroding to your soul as a person. When you wake up in the morning, not looking forward to going to work, doing it because it's bringing home the money to pay the bills, but not something that you really want to be doing. Living that kind of life where every day is soul-destroying. That's what I imagine it must be like to live with people who are constantly picking you apart. It's a joyless, resentful, and bitter relationship. And most likely an environment that leaves you constantly feeling anxious. And the reason that I'm belaboring this point this morning is because... I imagine in many ways this is what it must have been like for a Jewish person living under the Old Testament. You know, if you understand about Jewish tradition, 
They had so many rules and so many regulations that they lived under. In fact, my reading tells me 613 rules and regulations that relate to every aspect of life, every day. You've got to follow all these rules and get them right because the consequences are catastrophic. In essence, impossible to follow all the rules if you were a Jewish person. And so as a result of that, they had this sacrificial system whereby you could get right with God. And this sacrificial system had over or about a hundred rules and regulations to govern how you went about it. And the most important day in terms of the sacrificial system was an annual event in the Jewish calendar called the Day of Atonement. And on that day, uh, there was a priest who was called the High Priest. He was the top dog in the church, if you will. And on that day, it was his responsibility to go and make sacrifices on behalf of the Jewish people before God. So if you understand or if you have any understanding of the, uh, the tabernacle or the temple, there is the Holy of Holies, which is the part of that establishment or that building where the very presence of God resides. Okay, that's the holiest of holies. And then you have another area called the holy place, which is not quite as special because God's presence effectively is not in that part. But between those two parts was a curtain or a veil. And Jewish tradition says that it was nine centimeters thick. Can you imagine trying to open and close a curtain nine centimeters thick? Um, and that existed between the holiest of holies and the holy place because more than to do with the character of God, I think it was out of necessity. You didn't want to be a Levite in that place and trip for argument's sake, whilst carrying out your priestly duties and fall through that curtain into the holiest of holies. Because if you weren't ready to be there, you were smoke, okay? In the Old Testament, for you to come into the holiest of holies, you had to be without sin. And so, remember, the high priest's job was to go on the Day of Atonement on behalf of all the people of Israel. But before he could go in there, he had to sort himself out. And he had to do his own sacrifices and get right with God. And I just want you to imagine the pucker effect of what it must be like to be the high priest going into that place, knowing potentially you might not come out. There are great stories, which I don't think are based in Scripture, that people talk about there being a rope tied around their ankle so that if they dropped dead, they could, and the bells would stop ringing, they would know, oh, he's dead, let's pull him out by his feet. Uh, but the, the point I'm trying to make is you didn't go into the holiest of holies unless you had done everything in your power to be right with God. And the high priest went in once a year and made sacrifices on behalf of the people because the whole goal was to get right with God because they had fallen in all these myriads of regulations before the Lord. Imagine what it must be like to live having to follow all the rules constantly you know, and then there were, there, were different, there were different sacrifices because that was the Day of Atonement that happened annually, once a year. What about all the days in between? 
You know, what happens if on your way from church you thought a bad thought? Now you can't wait a whole year, so they had all these other regulations and sacrifices because blood had to be spilt and atonement had to be made. In, on the Day of Atonement, when uh, the sacrifices were made, I don't know if you know this, there were two goats that were selected for this whole day. And they would, the, the, the priest would cast lots between the two goats. One of the goats would be sacrificed uh, as atonement for the sins of all the people. And the second goat was called the scapegoat. And this was a symbol. And what would happen was the priest would put his hands on the goat would confess on behalf of the nation of Israel all their sins and then that goat would be released into the wilderness and it was symbolic of the sins of the people being carried by another into the wilderness looking forward to the day when Jesus would come a great day but the curtain was there as I was saying because you didn't want to accidentally come into the presence of God because God was so holy and so righteous that any sin would result in death. So, if you were to look at God in that context, you might be tempted to say, yikes, this guy is big stick God, ready to whack you for every little thing that you get wrong. But this is the first part of the story. If you were to kind of summarize the Bible and talk about the part that the Old Testament played and the New Testament played, the Old Testament did its job beautifully because it made you aware that you were not able to be good enough to please God. So in that sense, the nature of God was shown his goodness and kindness to prove to people that you cannot pull your socks up high enough to be good enough for me. You can't. It's impossible. And, and, and it was a stumbling block. But what it did was create the context for the great sacrifice of Jesus. But this was not how God wanted it to be. Remember that. You know, the Old Testament was not God's plan. It was a result of sin in mankind. I think that God hated that curtain. I think God hated the fact that he had to have that curtain because he wanted to be with his people. He wanted to interact with his people. He hated the fact that it was once a year that the high priest would come in on behalf of the people, maybe inside terrified that he's not right. Do you imagine that God wanted to be hidden away behind the curtain? Did you ever think about that? Did he want to be there? Was the curtain out of necessity or was it his will for it? So let's read our core passage from this series again, um, and it's helpful for us. Hebrews chapter 6, verses 13 to 20. When God made his promise to Abraham, the promise that he made in Genesis chapter 12, uh, that's the promise where he says, I'm going to make you a great people, I'm going to bless you. Um, Since there was no greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you, And and this is the oath now, not the promise. I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. And so after waiting patiently, the Bible says, Abraham received what was promised. Verse 16, people swear by someone greater than... Have you ever heard someone say, as God is my witness? You know, it's like, guys, I'm telling you the truth. 
Let's not have a debate here. When I say, as God is my witness, I want you to stop arguing with me. I want you to understand it's gospel. Have you heard these phrases before? Okay, uh, People swear by someone greater than themselves, and the oath confirms what is said and puts an end to all argument. Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs, I want you to be very clear as to the nature of God. When you look at the Old Testament and the New Testament, he's still the same God. You're just seeing a part of the story. Amen? Amen? To make it very clear to the heirs of what was promised, he confirmed it with an oath. So in Genesis 12, he made the promise. In Genesis 22 is when he, he, he swore by himself. There was no one greater. And he said, guys, as I am my own witness, what I'm telling you today is true. It will happen. I promise. I swear it. God did that so that by two unchangeable things, if you've wonder, ever wondered what they are, it's his promise and his oath in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. I want you to go away today greatly encouraged in terms of how God looks at you and in terms of how you can relate to God. Not in fear and trembling, not trying to please Him. It's good to want to please God, but you know, people who live their lives trying to please other people all the time just are worn out people. I want you to know that even though you might not please him today, he loves you and you're accepted. That is what I want. I want you to be greatly encouraged today. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain, right into the very heart of God. This hope is and this security where our forerunner Jesus has entered on our behalf he has become a high priest forever so now on the day of atonement was when the day was the day when the high priest earned his bucks okay on that one day what the Bible is saying that is every day Jesus is our high priest it's an everyday thing for us now when, when God looks at you, he sees Jesus, the high priest, and he remembers. So let me highlight a few things before I make my main points. God's nature in the Old Testament and in the New Testament is to bless his people and for them to be a blessing. He wants you blessed. You are blessed so that you can be a blessing. Amen? You don't live under the curse. You are blessed today. God fulfilled his promise and to Abraham. Remember, Abraham had to have descendants for you to be here today. You are part of the line. You are one of the grains of sand. You are one of the stars in the heavens that prophetically were talked about in the Old Testament. You're a result of God's promise and his oath and there will be many more who will follow Jesus was our scapegoat yes the sins of the world were put on him he carried them undeservedly but Jesus poured I mean God poured out his wrath for sin once and for all on Jesus and Jesus now has carried that burden He's also the high priest, as I was saying earlier on, and 
He intercedes for us every day. He wants us to be encouraged and he wants us to live firm and secure. He doesn't want you waking up every day thinking, how does God feel about me? Is he happy? Is there something that I've done wrong? He wants you to be unhindered in the way that you think about your relationship with God. He wants you to feel able to come to him no matter what. No matter what. Um, and so, as I was saying earlier on, God, I think God hated that curtain. And, and one of the reasons why I say that is because the first thing he did when Jesus died was rip it from the top to the bottom to separate. It's like he decided, I want open plan living in my house. You know, when I'm in the kitchen, you're in the dining room, we're chatting. You know, I can see you through to the lounge. It's not, I've got my space, you've got my space. Don't cross the line or you're going to fall down. He wanted unfettered, unhindered, all access relationship with us. So I think it was a joyful experience for him. That moment when it was like bittersweet. In that moment, his son was dying and breathed his last breath. But almost in that same breath, God was ripping the curtain and saying, no more. No more. Full access for all. And this is the thing that I want you to think about now as I kind of, my last thought. We've gone from, in the Old Testament, not good enough. Where every day we had to be so mindful that we had confessed every sin in case God was going to pick out that little thing that we hadn't realized. And he was going to hold it against us. We've gone from that to a place now where if you read in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 6 of the New King James, it describes us as accepted in the beloved. You are accepted in the beloved. I want to ask you, so not only were you accepted in that moment, but right now you are acceptable. You are acceptable. What do you think when you have looked in the mirror and you've looked yourself in the eye? What are the thoughts that fill your mind and heart? When you think about yourself as a Christian, this is what I want to tackle now. I want, I want you to fight the fake news of your mind and of the accuser. I want you to know without a shadow of a doubt what God is thinking right now as he looks at you, as he looks into your heart, as he looks into your mind, as he looks into your past. I want you to not feel like I have to do better. I have to pull my socks up because I don't know if, if I was to die right now or, or, or what is God thinking? Is he is he going to pull blessings? Is he, is he going to, am I going to suffer things in my life as punishment for, for things I may have said or, or, or done? You know, these are thoughts that go through Christians' minds. I want you to know today that you are acceptable. You're acceptable. You're acceptable. Totally acceptable to Jesus. How do you feel about you? I want you to feel about you like Jesus feels 
about you. So sometimes when you think about that word acceptable, oh, it's acceptable. Like, it's just good enough. You know, it was, it's either, it's, it's almost like we see it on a scale of not good enough, not good enough, oh, that's acceptable. It's not what I'd really like, but it's acceptable. Yes? That's kind of how we might use that word in our own English way in our culture today. Uh, you're selling your house. I'd like one and a half million for my house. I'll offer you one, one million four hundred ninety-five thousand. Oh, that's acceptable. It's not really what I want, you know, but it's acceptable. <clears throat> the Greek word for accepted in the beloved is the word kare tuo. And that word is only used twice in the New Testament. That word is only, I almost feel like accepted is a bad translation. Okay, and I want to explain to you why. Because if you think of yourself before God as, oh, it's acceptable, just good enough. It's okay, you can come in. You're not one of the stars of the show. You're just one of those, you know. Uh, so let me give you some of the definitions under that Greek word, kare tuo means to make graceful, to make charming, to make lovely, to make agreeable. It talks about pursue with grace, to compass with favor, to honor with blessings, honor. You are honored with blessings. You are highly favored, endued with special honor. You know, when you read the word accepted, it sounds so bland, but you are so much more today. You are highly favored and endued with special honor. You know, I told you that there were only two places in the New Testament where this word is used. The one is in our scripture, Ephesians 1, when it talks about us being accepted in the beloved. Do you know what the other one is? Luke 1.28. Let me read it to you. The angel Gabriel said to her, Rejoice, highly favoured one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. Who are we talking about? Mary. The one that God, our Father in heaven, chose to carry in her womb his precious, redeeming son. Just think about that right now. When you are hassled by the devil and troubled with thoughts of, I don't match up, I'm not good enough, I've, I've done too much, uh, God will not accept me back. When you think those thoughts, say liar. That's not who you are. You are highly favored and blessed. Blessed, imagine being the one woman in all humanity favored by God to carry Jesus. And then that same kind of favor on every woman and every man choose to follow Jesus. That's who you are today. You are anchored in acceptance. You are acceptable to the Lord 
That acceptance is so wonderful that you can go out and sin and it won't change. Because God decided on one day when his son died on a cross that he would deal with the issue of sin once and for all. Is it right that we carry on sinning? No. But we're not going to fight against ourselves in our effort to live in a way that honors God. Amen. We're not going to let the devil steal our joy. We're not going to let him steal our enthusiasm. When it comes to coming before the Lord, we're not going to let him prevent us from coming with great joy and boldness into the presence of God. Because that's how we should come. Because we're celebrating what God has done on our behalf. Amen? That's what we're doing when we come into the presence of God. We're celebrating what God has achieved in Jesus. We're not saying, Jesus, today I don't feel like you did quite enough. You know, if you wanted to come into the presence of God, you don't have to make an appointment. You don't have to rely on a butler to show you in. You don't get led into the formal lounge where we're going to spend time with Jesus. You don't have to bow and curtsy and go through all the protocol and, and I've got to address, like I'm talking to the Queen, I've got to have the right terminology. What is it I'm supposed to call him? Most Holy Father God? We don't have to go through all of that dross anymore. We simply come humbly grateful excited and joyful that in spite of our frailty we are accepted in the beloved we are loved wholeheartedly and we are welcome you know uh, when you think about the prodigal son i love how it conveys the character of god because he wasn't like probably a human father was resentful that he had been treated like that he was just simply waiting for the moment that that son would come to his senses and realized he's welcome and loved and accepted. You know, look at how that father ran and threw himself at the son. We are accepted in the beloved. You know, if you just want to come and sit, you know, I don't know if you have like, a, like your best friend, when you spend time together, sometimes you just sit there and you don't have conversation. You just be watching TV. And that's okay. You know, you're together. There's no need for forced conversation. You know, you can just come before the Lord and sit. You don't have to jibber-jabber. You don't have to pull out a list. Just be. Be with Father. Amen? I want to try and unravel the nonsense that often gets established in our lives. This tension that we live with. Of, of words and, and actions, you know? Uh, there's a tension where we're trying to live a life that honors the Lord, not because he's going to wallop us if we don't, but because we're so grateful for everything that he's done. And when we get it wrong, we just say, Lord, I'm sorry. We don't fear that our future is in jeopardy, like something's going to go wrong today. What will happen to one of my children? Maybe stuff going on in their lives has happened because of sin or, 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 or maybe uh, the things I hope for, they'll never ever happen because God's pulled his blessings on my life 
um, he's cross with me now and he, I've disappointed him and oh, what's, what's the point of going to church because you know God's cross with me and it's just rules all the time that's not what God wants for us not what he wants so I wanted to contrast the difference like in terms of these two people on my building site the other one is another guy called James James is one of those guys who is just you always hear him humming in the background or singing or when you are with him he's like hey he's happy to see you uh, even if it you know he, he, the last time he saw you was an hour ago you know what I mean and, and he'll be like hey look come in come in or, or he'll be so like, oh, I love what you've done there uh, it's really re he's just encouraging and pre I just find myself wanting to spend time in his presence and my point is that God is encouraging you God believes in you God is proud of you God is excited to see you walk into the room as it were he, he just wants to chat with you he wants to be with you and, and, and the essence of it is we ought to just want to be there you know what I mean not because it's our duty but because we love being together and I think there's something for us to learn what do you think because I think that we have a wonderful privilege and too often we just take it for granted we just see it as one of the things to tick off in our list of things to do you know and so it's important that we don't think of it as well it's my church thing on a Sunday it's an anytime thing amen we're always in the presence of God he's always talking He's always encouraging. He's always happy to see us. He's always empowering us to be the person he's created us to be, to live how he created us to live. You know, he's for you. And so we, let's live our lives as though we understand that we are anchored in acceptance. Amen. Thanks for listening. Please visit leadinglightsnetwork.com for more resources and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Please consider supporting this ministry by making a donation on the giving page at leadinglightsnetwork.com or lighthousejersey.com.